children said. Amen. Amen. Would you be seated at this time? I want to welcome you to White Oak this morning. My name is John Wethington, the lead pastor here. And if you're new or visiting with us this morning, I just want to say welcome. And I'm so glad that you're here with us. I'm so glad that you're in this room and that the Lord has seen fit to bring you here with us this morning. Uh, Because, man, I've got a word for you this morning. Uh, I don't know what you were planning on coming to do this morning, but um, God has just put this word in my heart so heavily. And I'm glad that you're here to hear it. As a pastor, you know, you're excited about every sermon Um, But sometimes there's just something special, and it would seem fit that it would be here on Palm Sunday that God would just give me this word that that I just believe deeply. And I think that's that's the power of of, of belief, is sometimes in our logical, rational world, we kind of downplay belief. And yet, I think where power comes from in life is really believing something. You know, we're in a political season— and whether or not you uh, agree with certain candidates, uh, you can't deny the reality that, that most of the candidates, they believe what they believe. Like usually what they say is what they believe, and, and that makes them appealing. And so as I tell you this morning with the, the title of the sermon that, that Jesus is the supernova of human history, I mean that with everything in me. And if that sounds weird to you, then stick with me, and I'll try to explain it and make that make sense. But I, I want to begin this morning with, with a question, and uh, I need my honesty uh, people to come out here. Uh, have you ever been in an argument or disagreement with somebody? Raise your hand. Ever. Okay, so half of you have never been in an argument. Great. That's awesome, right? You can't lie in church. You can lie in Congress, but not church. You know that's how it goes, right? You can't do that. It's the Lord's house. So that's part of life, right? You get in disagreements with people, and, and you don't see eye to eye, and, you know, things go awry, and, you know, maybe uh, you have a spouse, and so you disagree from time to time. I've heard that happens. Uh, not my marriage, but everybody else's marriage, right? Um, maybe you have a teenager, and I've heard that teenagers um, and their parents, like, they, they, they don't see the world the same way. Is that true? Yeah, that's what, that's what I've heard. Or even uh, th- parents of three-year-olds, right? You don't see the world the same way that they do. Disagreements emerge. And yet, to me, the real tension in a, a disagreement, um, it's not so much the disagreement itself, like from my perspective. To me, what really gets tense is not in the, in the heat of the moment or um, in the moment where you're disagreeing. To me, the tension comes whenever, like, the disagreement goes to such an extent that one person just, like, leaves the room, you know, or, or it's not going anywhere, so you just part ways and that's it, Right. To me, that's where the tension emerges because, um, you know, maybe, you know, sometimes in our life, like, you know, like, like, or in marriage or something, you're not seeing eye to eye, you're disagreeing, and the woman's like, I'm done, I'm getting out of here, like, she leaves the room, you know, or maybe there's been some slam doors in your life and someone leaves. To me, the real tension emerges whenever you, you part ways from one another with an unresolved issue because the question at that moment becomes this, who's going to make the first move? Every resolution that's ever happened in the world, every, every place where healing has been brought into a frustrating situation, it has happened because one person has had the boldness and the love to make the first move. And I say that because I believe when looking at Jesus in the context of the entire Bible, you know, we can pull Jesus out and give us encouragement for our daily lives, and, and that's great. You know, God loves you. He wants to help you. He's here with you. 
But Jesus becomes like super powerful when you see him in the context of the entire Bible. And we've been on this journey for five months through the entire Bible. We've seen God create the world and humanity fall. We've seen Abraham, Moses, Joshua, David, Solomon, Daniel, the judges, the prophets. We've seen all these guys, right? And they've got some good qualities. God does some work in their lives, but they're, they're fallen people and they, they make mistakes and they keep falling short. And at the end of the Old Testament, right, God still loves his people and Israel is still trying to figure it out. But there's a problem there. There's a divide because humanity is imperfect and yet God is perfect. God has never made a mistake in the history of the world. Everything belongs to him. Everything is in his design. And he created humans and gave us free will. And yet we chose to not give him the glory he deserved and to sin and to try to go our own way. And at the end of the Old Testament, Humanity was at odds with God. God was still doing a work, but something was off. And then in Jesus Christ, what we see, the wonder of it is God begins to make his move. This is what's happening. This is where it's going. This is where the power is. God is going to do something. And when you look at Jesus, what I hope you see is God making a play for you, making a play for humanity that we would not pay the penalty of our sin. What Jesus was doing was coming to bring us true life, forgiveness of sin, freedom to live the life that God called us and created us to live. And Jesus coming to the world, God is making his move. He's doing something. He's fixing it. And what we see is Israel begins to to, to see this man named Jesus, and they're intrigued by him, but they're not exactly sure who he is. And then he begins to make this bold claim that he is the son of God. He's the son of God. And if you're like me, when I was growing up, the son of God phrase was really confusing and weird. Just be very honest, right? It was very different because I'm like, he's God, but he's the son of God, right? Like that, I was like, that's, that's an interesting thing, right? And, and, and what we believe here in the Christian church is that we believe in one God in three persons. So one God who is revealed and manifested in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And yet where the Father-Son relationship gets confusing for us, and we're going to read about how Jesus is the son of God this morning, so I want to explain this is back in Jesus' day, the idea of father and son relationships were a lot different than we have today in our individualistic culture, right? So in Jesus' day, a father and son, like if you were the son of someone, like you were literally their image, right? Like a, a son would inherit everything their father had, right? The son would inherit everything the father had, and he, you know, probably looked like his father, right? And so a son was very uh, comparative to a father. But we live in a world where, like, we want to all do our own thing, and we don't want to be like our parents, right? Uh, we live in kind of the opposite way, whereas back then you would want to honor your father and be like him and all these kinds of things. And nowadays we have a culture where we, like, we run from our parents, you know? It's like, well, I feel like my, my daughter's not even born yet. She's already embarrassed by me, you know? She's already like, it's like, I don't know that man on stage, you know? Who is that? That's not my dad. But, but that's, so, so when we say father and son, like, that's hard for us to understand in an individualistic culture where you're encouraged to, to be yourself and do your thing and, and be you and, and don't let anyone else define anything for you. And so when we read this morning that Jesus is the son of God, what, what the Bible is trying to communicate is that Jesus is the image of the invisible God come to the earth. That Jesus is everything that God is come to the world to save us. And so with that being said, I want to invite you to stand with me this morning. And if you have a Bible, uh, turn with me to the book of John, 
the first chapter. So John 1, uh, we're going to read verses 9 through 18. And if you don't have a Bible, it'll be up here on the screen. But I want you to hear this beautiful way that the, the Gospel of John describes Jesus coming into the world as a true light. And as I read this this morning, I want you to think about what this means for your life. Imagine you were the only human in the world that was living. I want this to be real for you. In John 1, starting verse 9, it says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, being Israel, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So it's something God is doing. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. (laughs) And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, being Jesus, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. May God bless this word in your life this morning. You may be seated. The Bible says that 2,000 years ago, something was happening. That God was, was doing something special and different and new. That God was making his move in this dark and broken world that was broken, but, but that he still loved. And the move that God makes is he sends his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. He sends this image of God into the world to, to bring light into the darkness. Have you ever experienced darkness? Have you ever experienced something in this world that was just so dark, so painful, so depraved, you ever been upset by something and just thought, man, life shouldn't be this way? You ever gone through a tough time? You ever been embarrassed? You ever been hurt? You ever been threatened? You ever felt the pain of someone in your family? The pain of a child? The pain of a relationship? The pain of somebody wronging you? Have you ever wronged somebody? Have you ever blown it? Have you ever made the biggest mistake and you don't know how you could have been so selfish? How you could have been so evil? Are we naive enough to think that the people that are in prison, that they're the really bad people and that we're the good people? Are we naive enough to think that what happens in those darkest moments in human history, that that darkness does not also possibly reside in us? There is a darkness in this world, and and we're selfish, and we're a part of this, and yet into that darkness, God was bringing light. He was doing something 2,000 years ago. This man named Jesus was born. And I want to give you from Jesus' own words himself what he was doing. It's in one of the most famous passages in all the Bible, in John chapter 3. I'm going to read this. You don't need to turn there, or you can if you want to. 
But John 3, verses 16 through 21, Jesus is talking to a well-known teacher named Nicodemus, and he's explaining to him what he's doing, because this guy is like, you're intriguing, Jesus, and you're doing miracles, and you're teaching these great things, and you're, you're sounding like you're in charge of this whole place, and yet I don't really know who you are. And this is what Jesus says. He says, for God so loved the world. Everything begins with God's love. That he gave his only son... That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is what God wants for you this morning, that you would not perish, but that you would have an eternal and abundant life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, as maybe culture often tells you, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is already condemned. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light, there's that image again, the light. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates this light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that, he may be clear, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that Christ is here because God loves you, because he loves this world, because he wants this world to be everything that he created it to be, that though we have failed, that God's not giving up on us, that God is sticking with us. 2,000 years ago, Regardless of what you believe, there was a man on this earth named Jesus Christ. And he claimed to be literally God in the flesh, come to bring light to a dark world, to bring forgiveness and salvation to sinners like you and me and Israel. And all of the Bible in the Old Testament was leading up to this point. This is the climax, right? This is the part of the story where everything is going to go one way or another. Things are going to go well or things are going to go bad because this is God making his move. And yet Jesus was not God in the sense, like a lot of people say, like there have been a lot of people in history that have said, I'm God. There have been a lot of creepy people out there that said they're God. And usually tied to those people is a desire for either women, money, or power. I mean, look it up. Look at all the people that have claimed to have all these things, right? I'm, I'm God, or I'm the special prophet or something, right? You see uh, something there. Yet Jesus is so different than everybody else. Jesus died a broke, powerless, 33-year-old virgin. He wasn't like the rest. He wasn't in it for what was in it for him. He came to do something. He was sent from God to save us. And he emerges into this world, and he's like doing miracles, and he's, he's teaching this thing called the law, which was like the most confusing thing for Israel. They had like, like 613 laws they were trying to do. You know, you think your parents were bad, right? Imagine trying to keep 613 laws. Can't do this. You have to have, wear this kind of clothes, and when you sacrifice an animal for your sin, you have to do it this way, and this kind of animal, and this kind of— I mean, it was like super— confusing. And God kept giving them these commandments to help them, to lead them to love him, but they just kept falling short. And so then Jesus comes, and he's making it simple. He simplifies the whole law into loving God and loving people. And that is brilliant when you think about it. Literally, I mean, logically, everything, every law God ever gave was given that they could love God and love people. He began to show them like there was a, a different way to do life. 
that you were called to love your neighbor as yourself, that was a revolutionary idea in his time. He was healing people, like miraculously healing people. He's like creating food out of nothing to feed people. I mean, his, his, uh, his, uh, his, his image in the world was, was growing and people were like very blown away. And he ended up being uh, Jesus Christ, who is the most um, known person in the history of humanity. The book written about him, the Bible, is the most read and best-selling book of all time. And his church, which is founded on his name, is the largest single people group in the history of humanity. This is absolutely amazing. And then it came to this climax that we celebrate today on Palm Sunday. And Jesus was making his move into Jerusalem, which was, I guess you could say, maybe like the New York City of its day. You know, like today, if you wanted to go somewhere and make a statement, you know, maybe you go to Times Square or something like this place where like everyone, like it's happening. That's where everybody's at. It's like the epicenter of culture. Like that was Jerusalem, right? And so Jesus was going to kind of make this final proclamation, declaration. He was going to do something powerful. Something was about to happen. And so he told his followers that he was going to go into Jerusalem. Word spread. People found out this guy who's claiming to be the king, and we're kind of starting to buy into this, began to find out. So everyone gets to Jerusalem, and everyone's excited. There's like these lines of people, and they're waving these things called palm branches, right? And it wasn't just because it was hot or because, you know, they wanted something to wave. A, a palm branch in that day signified something. It signified victory. It signified, it was something of, of royalty. And so he's coming in, he got this donkey, because back then that was riding in style. He gets on this donkey, and he cruises into Jerusalem. And this is the moment where a lot of people outside of his disciples are, are really beginning to buy into this idea that he's probably the king. No one else can do what he does. 2,000 years ago, the most famous person who has ever lived emerged into this town. It was a big media spectacle, even bigger than Donald Trump today. I mean, like a bajillion times bigger than that, right? I mean, this was the thing. And this is the climax of the entire Bible. And he rides into town, and his fame is growing But then it takes a very interesting turn that nobody saw coming. It turns out, against what a lot of people thought, even his most close followers, that Jesus Christ was a supernova. And nobody saw this coming. Nobody knew this was going to happen. Nobody was expecting the king of the Jews to say this, that the Son of Man, in Luke chapter 9, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So here's the king saying, I'm going to die. Back in their day, like in our day, death signaled what? Defeat. You can't be the king and lose, right? You can't be the king and let the, 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 the Jewish people kill you. You can't be the king and let the government defeat you. If the government defeats you, you're not the king, they're the king. But he's speaking this, and he he knows what he's doing, and he's got this confidence to him. He's like, no, 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 I have to die. I'm not going to stay dead. And they're like, man, this is going to be the most amazing miracle you've ever performed. I know you turned, you know, uh, a little bit of food to feed 5,000. I know you healed a man's hand. I know you've walked on water, but, like, you're going to rise yourself from the dead. It's one thing to, like, to be the person who rises someone from the dead if you have miraculous powers. It's another thing to be dead, which you would think would negate your miraculous powers, right? And then to raise to new life. But he's saying this is what's going to happen. 
The problem that they didn't realize was that Jesus Christ was the supernova of human history. He was the supernova of human history. Man, as a, as a kid, my favorite place to go was NASA, right? Of all the field trips you could go on, NASA was my place. I wasn't really big on the zoo. I thought the aquarium was kind of boring. Uh, we went to a skating rink once, and that was lame, you know. But every time we went to NASA, you know, we live in Space City, right? This is, that's what you do, right? It's like the epicenter of, like, Houston. That's what we're known for, right? We're like the Space City of America. We would go to, to NASA on a field trip. And I remember this one time I went to NASA. I mean, I'd walk in there. It was just like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. I loved it because it was like a place that, like, put me in wonder. Because, you know, you think that your life is so important, and then you go to, like, NASA, and you see the universe, and you're like, wow, this is amazing. This place is big. And we did this once. We went on this, like, breakout session at NASA, like, specially designed for our class. And they began to teach us about supernovas. And uh, I'll never forget it uh, because I was so amazed by it, and I was actually paying attention this time. So I'm going to give you the the fourth grade understanding of a supernova because that's when I learned about this. A supernova is basically this. It's an exploding star. A supernova is an exploding star. And yet the thing about a supernova is that not any star can be a supernova. A supernova is a star that is so big that when it explodes, everything changes. And and let me kind of blow your mind with this. In order for a star to be big enough to be a supernova, it has to be bigger than our sun. Meaning our sun, which is a million times bigger than the earth. You could fit a million earths into the sun, and that star is not big enough to explode as a supernova. But there are some stars in our galaxy that are big enough to actually be a supernova. And I'm not going to give you the technical details of how it gets there. But some stars, at the end of their lives, they don't just cease to exist. They don't just kind of go pew. They don't just kind of slightly cease to exist, right? They don't just kind of stop. They don't just burn out. There are some stars that when they explode, everything changes. A supernova is a star of of an unusual amount of mass and energy that explodes in a death resulting in new life. One guy said, most stars just die, but certain stars do much more than that. Supernovas are this wondrous thing that whenever they explode, for a moment in time, they outshine their entire galaxy. Think think about how big a galaxy is. Earth is a million times smaller than the sun, and the sun is small in comparison to our galaxy. And then the majority of galaxies that have supernovas are far, 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 far bigger than our galaxy. If you think fireworks are amazing, this is literally something that your mind can't even comprehend how bright and wondrous of an explosion this is. It is something that our finite minds cannot even grasp. And for a moment when the star explodes, everything is overwhelmed by its light. And oftentimes, new stars are born as a result of a supernova. They say the majority of massive stars in our universe were created by another supernova. And and the reason why I employ this imagery 
is because I think sometimes when we talk about Jesus and his death and what was happening, we lack the vocabulary to really get to the heart of how amazing this is. And we've heard it so many times, and we've, it's, it's honestly just part of our culture. I mean, there are going to be people that are going to celebrate Palm Sunday and Easter just because that's kind of what we do, right? And we, we show up, and we observe it, and it's wonderful, and we go and eat lunch, and we, we go about our daily lives. But the thing that we celebrate was more massive, was more important and impactful than a supernova, and it happened in our world, and we are living in light of this thing. Jesus Christ was the supernova of human history. When Jesus Christ entered into Jerusalem on that donkey, eventually the the authorities came after him for claiming to be God. He said he was God that so loved the world that wanted to bring new life to people, and all the religious people freaked out like they always do, and they got him, and they killed him on a cross, and they buried him. And yet Jesus kept saying, go, go back to that verse in Luke. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things. That word must is important because it's not like I'm not going to be able to overwhelm these people. He's like, look, I'm doing something here. This is part of the plan. Jesus had to say these things and prophesy it so that when he died, people would know if they would believe his words that he was doing something. This is part of the plan. You ever followed someone and, and, and they're kind of acting crazy and they're like, no, it's all part of the plan. You're like, I don't know if this is part of the plan. You're like, no, I got this. It's part of the plan. He was doing something in this moment. And Jesus Christ said that when he died on the cross, that he died for the sins of all humanity, you and me included, Israel included. And, and what we begin to see is that on the cross, what happened was it was an explosion of God's grace that outshines our sin. Everything you've ever done, every failure, every mistake, that when he died on the cross, the Bible says that it outshines your sin, that his death was so amazing and so wondrous and so impactful. It did so much that it overcame every bad thing that we have ever done. And also like a supernova, his death brought new life and forgiveness to humanity. That in the rubble of his death, we began to find new life, that we began to believe him and to really believe that death was dead and that the chains of sin were broken, that we had this new freedom and this new life because of what Jesus Christ has done. And then also like a supernova, the same way that that not every star can be a supernova, you've got to be of a certain stature. God was the only one who could die for your sins. He was the only righteous lamb because you needed perfection and you weren't perfect, but he was perfect for you. And the good news is this morning is that if you're here today, that God has been supernaturally and lovingly patient with you. And that the cross is here for everybody who would have it. The Bible says if you want the the grace of God to outshine your sin, if you want Christ to pay for your sins on the cross, all you have to do is let him outshine your sin. This week I... uh, I didn't act like a pastor um, yesterday very much. I, um, I got this new fence. I got a kid on the way, you know, so 
uh, I had to get a kid-proof fence in my backyard. And so I paid this guy to build this fence for me. And uh, when I asked him how much he would charge me to stain it, I said, no thanks, I'll do it myself. And uh, so I, I, I've never stained a fence. I know nothing about anything like that, right? But I'm like, how hard can it be, right? Um, it's stained, you put it on the wood, and that's it, right? So um, I did what every overly confident guy does, and I went to Home Depot, and I started trying to figure it out for myself. And um, I got the stuff, and the, the stain cost a little bit more money than I thought it would cost. I had a little bit bigger fence than I thought I was going to get. And so I was already kind of a little bit like uneasy about that. I'm like, man, this is expensive. I could have just paid someone to do it, right? But I was already there. I bought the stain, and then I bought this little um, $10 little tool that's supposed to spray it on there for you. It's supposed to make the job, like, so much easier, right? But as you know, that never happens, right? So I, I get home, and I'm, I'm excited, but I'm also kind of a little frustrated because I've already spent a lot of money, and now I've got a huge job ahead of me. And um, so I, I start loading this stain. And once again, stain is not like paint. Like stain gets on you and it's, it's, it, it like burns a little bit, right? I mean, it, it's pretty intense, right? And so I begin to put all this stain into this little like little machine. And you know, you know how it is. It's like one of those things you pump it, you know, and then you spray it on the, the wall and then you kind of whatever. And so um, I, I didn't read the instructions. And so I just, I was like, ah, it's easy. And I just throw it together, you know, kind of whatever and put the stain in there, you know. And uh, I, I go to the wall, and I'm, like, doing it. It's, it's not coming out, you know. And then, but it's like, I'm, I'm doing it, and yet I feel like all of this, like, pressure building in the machine, but nothing's coming out. That's when it's not good, you know. And so I'm, like, I'm like pumping it. I'm like, I'm, like, I'm, like, exploding this thing, and like, but it's like, it's like a log jam, right? So all this pressure is building, right? And nothing's coming out, and I'm getting frustrated. I'm not happy. And then I kind of yank it, and then the, the, the front part pops off, right? Like, like the handle pops off, and so there's, there's, like, there's, like, little stuff spraying everywhere, you know. And it's all over me. It's all over my body. It's like, getting all over my fence, like, true story. I can show you the part of my fence where this happened. It's so obvious. It's so darkly stained, you know? And so it's, like, spraying everywhere, and I, I literally, absolutely lost it. And so I, I ran over, and I got a, a, a paintbrush. I was like, man, forget that stupid machine. I'm going to do it myself. So I'm, I'm like, like, putting my, my brush in there and trying to go on there, and it looks awful, you know? It's like, oh, this is horrible. And I lost it, and li- I'm kidding you not, like, I, I literally lost it, and I grabbed the, the paintbrush, and, and Halsey's, like, right there behind me, like, watching this. I'm like exploding. I was, ah, I, I went in a fit of rage. I just threw it against the wall. I like took that paintbrush and I was just so angry. I just threw it against the wall. And Halsey's just like, <laughs> I'm usually pretty laid back. You know, I just lost it in that moment. I was so angry. And I reverted back to a six-year-old and I threw a temper tantrum. And I stood there in utter defeat. And, and Halsey's like you know, trying to be quiet. You know how it is. She's trying to be real quiet and real helpful, you know. And, and she's kind of standing there and, and she kind of walks over and, you know, she picks up the, uh, the, the, the sprayer thing that like I couldn't assemble. And she, she walks it back over to the porch and she opens the instructions. She starts reading it, you know, and She's like working on it, you know, and, and she's putting it together. And, and I'm just kind of standing there like, you know, looking at the sky, just like, you know, what just happened kind of a thing. And uh, she's been putting it together and, and she's just so patient, you know, so patient, so, so easygoing, you know. And I'm just like not easygoing. And um, she's, you know, she's like putting it together and she screws this one thing in that I forgot to screw in. You know, there's always one thing you forget to screw in the right way. That's how those things always go. It's like Ikea furniture, you know. You miss one step and it's worth nothing, you know. And, uh, and so she's getting it and she starts kind of pumping it and she starts spraying it and it starts coming out, you know. 
And, um, but she's just real quiet the whole time, you know, just kind of there, just kind of with me and, and trying to make it work. We've already paid all this money for this, for this little thing I bought, all this stain, and we got this whole fence that just looks so bare and, like, nasty, and starts spraying it, and, and I kind of see her doing that, and so I, I go over, and I, I get the brush that I threw halfway across the yard, and I go pick it up, and and so we start working together, and we start spraying it on the fence, and, you know, and, and so, like, like so, so I, she gave me the machine because now it worked, and I'm spraying it on there, you know, and, and the way it works is, you know, you, you put it on there, it puts it on there thick, and then someone comes behind on a brush, and they, they brush it in so the stain kind of sets evenly, and uh, we, we got in this rhythm, and to the point where, like, we were, like, professionals, like, we could open up, like, our own, like, staining business, you know, and, um, and we're going through this fence, and um, and I, I know it's cheesy, right? But we go through the fence, and we had we got about five gallons of, of stain. And I, I, I kid you not, um, and I just bought five gallons because I knew I needed a lot, right? The, the fence took not a drop less of exactly five gallons. And when we finished, um, I just remember telling Halsey, you know, thank you so much for, for being patient because I had lost it, I had failed, I had given up, I had admitted defeat, and yet she was so patient and so loving and, and so kind and, and so encouraging that it motivated me to keep trying. And, and I always love how in the Bible Jesus refers to himself as a friend, and that's a weird thing for God to say is that he's your friend, that he's not just this almighty God who's, you know, always telling you everything you have to do. But he gives this image of like he literally comes alongside you in your life and he walks with you and he picks you up when you fall down and he dusts you off and he helps you keep going and living a life that God has created you to live. And, and when you're at your worst, he's at his most gracious and his most patient. And when I think of Jesus Christ being a supernova, reminded of how patient God was. Israel failed for thousands of years. And God kept being patient. And God stuck in there. And God hung in there with him. And then he sent his son into the world to die on a cross. So assertive, but so patient with them. What I want you to know this morning is that Jesus is not out to get you. He's out to save you. And the more broken you are, the more amazing this is. You know, religion points out how how bad you are, and yet Jesus points out how loved you are. And the patience of God, I mean, imagine Jesus on the cross, like God on a cross. God on a cross for you. could have bailed on you, could have given up. God could have destroyed this whole place. And he would have had every right to do so. See, most of the times for us, when when things go bad, we just get rid of it. When the car starts failing, we trade it in. When, um, When the meal goes bad, we just start over. And yet God loved this thing that he created so much in being the world and in being your life that he wanted to remake it and he was patient. This morning, if you're a Christian, I want you to know 
that the sin that you struggle with, that God is patiently waiting for you to realize that it will not bring fulfillment in your life. And he is waiting for you to turn that thing over to him, to repent and to discover new life. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, if you don't know if you're a Christian or not, what I want you to know is that this could be your moment this morning. You could have heard about this a million times, but maybe you know something's missing in your life. Maybe you know that things aren't clicking right. Maybe you don't feel the wonder you feel like you should have in life. Maybe you're not happy. Maybe you know that you're a messed up person and you feel unlovable. This could be your moment to receive the love of Jesus Christ in your life for the very first time. The Bible says all we have to do is to repent of our sin and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. And in closing, I just want to challenge you with this this week. We're entering into something called um, Holy Week or, or Passion Week. Different people call it different things. And I want to challenge you between now and Easter to live like you've never lived before. I want to challenge you to live in a more holy attitude than you ever have before. I want to challenge you to truly flee from sin and run to God in everything. I want to challenge you to lean deeper and deeper and deeper. Maybe you need to give something away. Maybe you need to give a bunch of money. Maybe money is just like, just killing you. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something you're not surrendering to the Lord. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's a secret addiction that no one knows about. I want to challenge you to live like never before this week. I want to challenge you to really see the reality that the death of Christ on the cross outshines your sin, and you can be free this week. Let's do that this week, and let's meet up for Easter next week, and let's marvel at all that he's done in our lives. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you how we can hear the gospel a million times. And yet every time it is just as powerful. I pray for all the hearts of the people in this room, God, that that you would clean out their hearts, Lord, that they could hear you and see you in their heart. God, I pray for the things that stand in the way of all you've called us to. I pray for the sin and the entanglements and the chains that hold us back from everything you've created us for, God. God, I pray that we would not look at Jesus just as some guy that came 2,000 years ago and kind of tweaked the world a little bit, and and so now we're trying to be a little bit more moral because of it, God, because he kind of loved us. God, I pray it would be a supernova. I pray it would be an explosion in our hearts that outshines everything else. God, I pray that that the death of Jesus would be our confidence in this world. That anything that the world or anyone else tries to hold against us, that we say, look, it doesn't stick because he died for me. God, I pray you would wash us white as snow. I pray you'd make us happy in you. And I pray that this would be a turning point in our lives of just seeing how good you are and how good this thing called life can really be. God, there is so much hope in this world. You've done so many great things that if we believe you, nothing is impossible. 
God, I pray if there's anyone in this room who's, who's never trusted you with their life, who's never had their, their mind and their heart baptized in the wonder of the gospel, I pray you would help them to see that they're not here by accident. That this universe has so much meaning that the same way that the mountains and the seas were crafted to look a certain way and to cause a certain effect on our souls, that that you do the same thing in us, that you guide every aspect of our lives. God, I pray for the Christian in this room struggling with a secret addiction. I pray you'd break that chain. I pray, God, you would remind us that the cross was so much better than that sin. That you died for that sin. That you died so that death would no longer plague humanity. And I pray you would help us to enter into that this morning. Thank you for being our supernova, Jesus. Thank you. We believe it and we receive it. And as we worship in this moment, God, I pray we just respond. You're the rock of ages. You're the supernova in 2016. You'll be the supernova in 3016. We thank you for what you've given us. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.